Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to Video Game The Movie The Podcast. In today's very special episode, we are going to be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog the Movie 2020 previously 2019 but they moved it ahead by quite a bit i am one of your co-hosts mackenzie easton somebody else worked <laughs> i am one of your other co-hosts nathan bertram i am one of your other 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 co-hosts lexi conwell the extra other was for the cat yep <laughs> combo oh. who's in the sink whatever okay. all right i'm sonic a little ball of super energy in an extremely handsome package. On my planet, people were always after my powers. So I came to yours. It gets a little lonely, but that's okay. I am living my best life on Earth. What? Ow! At the place, Sonic! At the Pitch's Mount, also Sonic! Ugh, I can't with that guy. Hiding out of my garage. They're coming for me. If they steal my power, they could conquer the universe. You have to help me. No, I don't. Please, it's life or death. Supersonic. Good morning, my rural chum. Mr. Dr. Robotnik. I'm going to give you five seconds to tell me where it is. Wait, don't hurt him. <laughs> Road trip. This can't be happening to me. Oh my God, stop the car right what? now. What? The world's largest rubber band ball. We gotta see it! No, this is not some fun family road trip. Eh, you're right. It was lame. Gift shop was cool, though. So, Sonic the Hedgehog. There actually isn't a the movie afterwards, but I'm going to say that probably every other time. Is a 2019 children's action adventure comedy kind of thing 2020 2020 yes uh yeah sonic the movie 2020 kids action adventure comedy kind of dealy we're comfortable putting it in that category yeah yep all right it was based on it was based on the 1990 video game sonic the hedgehog probably more realistically it was based on the whole franchise up to this point yeah but sonic has gone through so many iterations that it doesn't really matter it's based on the idea of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, it is comparable to Detective else. Pikachu in that front where it's like an adaptation of the video game, but there's so much of a media empire surrounding the whole thing that it's got a bit of a leg up on a lot of other video games because there's already so much other media that you can pull from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Detective Pikachu is pretty closely adapted from the game of the same name. Sonic the Hedgehog is pretty... Like, it pulls things from all over and just kind of ignores everything else. <laughs> so, yeah. What is our familiarity across the board with Sonic? So, I grew up playing Sonic on my Sega Genesis with my younger brother. I also played the Adventure Battle game on GameCube. So, there was a few things in there. I was like, oh, this is like that moment from that game. So, I do... I'm not a hardcore Sonic fan. I never got into the wider expanded thing. I mostly played those two games. But I do have a strong nostalgic love for both of those games. And I appreciate the character and the aesthetic a lot. (laughs) 
I get it. I get the appeal of Sonic the Hedgehog. So in elementary school, my friends that I went to their house a lot, they had a Sega Genesis with Sonic, Sonic 2, uh, Sonic and Knuckles, and Sonic the Hedgehog 3, which meant that we could play all of them, including when you put Sonic 3 into the slot on Sonic and Knuckles to play Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Yes. Sonic. Oh, you're not aware of this? Well, it sounds familiar, (laughs) but uh, what? So Sonic Team wanted to release Knuckles as a playable character in Sonic 3, but they didn't have like the time or resources to do it. So they released a separate game that was just called Sonic and Knuckles, Mm. but it was a Game Genie style cartridge where you could flip the top open and put another cartridge inside. So like post facto, you could play Knuckles in Sonic 3. It that's was cool. basically physical DLC. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you put other cartridges in, it would randomly generate a bonus level, which was also neat. What? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really <laughs> so, cool. Let's see. So anyway, I have a long history with Sonic, especially the like original run of games. It's great. I, I love the series. <laughs> Uh, so I grew up not with the the games. I didn't really. I wasn't really ever involved with like Game Boy or Genesis or what whatever all of these console things are that exist. I know almost nothing about them. But I grew up with the cartoon Sonic X, which was you know Sonic doing Sonic things and usually tails firing a ring at him at the end of the episode to defeat the boss because ring power-ups or whatever um it eventually got really complicated but that's not important i watched a lot of the show and i have a lot of memories of it and so i know sonic pretty well um i think the first sonic game i ever played was at a friend's house on like a ps3 (laughs) (laughs) um Oh, no, actually, we played Sonic, uh, we played one of the Sonic Riders games where it's like they have, con- they can control gravity in that one. I think yeah, that was a PS2. Yeah, the bird uh, people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And then there was a different one that I can't really describe very well, but it was kind of neat on the PS3. Other than that, I think that's about all the Sonic I've got, but yeah. Sonic has a very long and varied history. Uh, so Sonic originally started off as a character in the 90s as a direct counterpart to Nintendo's Mario. Mm -hmm. Yes, Nathan, this is your corner. But yeah, so I'm just going to quickly say, from most people's perspective, Sonic started off really good in the 90s in his 2D platformers. He transitioned awkwardly to 3D. He had a pretty successful comic series where he meets Archie. Um, I know. There's like five cartoons, one of which is like a post-apocalyptic like rebellion fighter thing called Sonic Underground, uh, which is very well loved, actually. Uh, and then a really, really bad game in 2006 that everybody says is like the worst thing ever. And then he's been kind of hit or miss. In recent years, there have been a couple of pretty popular 2D style games with Sonic, uh, kind of like return to forms. Mm. Uh, but people have said that about every like sixth game in the Sonic franchise mm. forever. So he's a messy character who's got a lot of 90s like nostalgia on him, but has still been around without ever really changing. And it's very... He's a strange, he's a strange character. Yes, yes he is. So uh, the games began when Sega hosted a contest in the 90s, like 1990, 89, in order to develop a new mascot that could 
star in a game that could compete with Nintendo because Nintendo was at the top of the market and they were gearing up to release the Super Nintendo. And Sega was about to release the Genesis, the I think it's the Mega Drive in Japan. Uh, North America, it was the Genesis. And they needed a game that was going to like really push units and compete with Nintendo. So they held this competition with their artists to design a new character. And the winner was uh, Naoto Oshima, who designed a hedgehog character that he called Mr. Needlemouse. Uh, which the best name ever such a good name hmm Um, Uh, hmm that makes me go hmm uh which he described as taking felix the cat's head and grafting it onto mickey mouse's body which is accurate that is the design philosophy of basic sonic that is the basic sonic design and i'm gonna say is part of the reason his character has sustained huge popularity i as a lark drew some sonic uh, like ocs for us after the movie it is one very easy and two really fun to draw sonic characters they're made of circles it's really pleasant Oh yeah, their design is really like simple and effective and yeah. It's a good design. It's, it's good. So they had a character, they needed a game, so they brought on programmer Yuji Naka, who uh, had worked with Oshima on the Fantasy Star games, and they brought on level designer Hirokazu Yasuhura, Yasuhara. I apologize. I'm probably butchering all of these names. Uh, but that was the main, like, those three were the main team. Together with a small group of designers and uh, artists, they created the first Sonic game. But there was friction between the Japanese team that was making the game and the American team that was supposed to be doing marketing for North American release because the North American team thought that what the Japanese designers had given them wasn't going to play in America. Like Sonic's human girlfriend. Yes. So the early, early ideas for Sonic included he, he was way edgier. He had fangs and played the electric guitar and had a human girlfriend who was a hot blonde named Madonna. Oh, no. Anyways, they... Nintendo of America was understandably a little bit skeptic. <laughs> he so... was too extreme yeah and this is the 90s yeah so there was like a little bit of friction they eventually compromised with the design that we have now with the original sonic and sega of america was basically tasked with making it a success in the north american market so they convinced sega to let them package it with new releases of the Sega Genesis replacing Altered Beast, which was originally the package game. And they also allowed the people who had bought the console previously could send in for a free copy of Sonic the Hedgehog. Jeez. Which is brilliant. Marketing campaign. And also they showed it off at the, um, they showed it off at a like entertainment expo alongside Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario World. There's the launch title for the Super Nintendo. And like the tempo difference between how Mario moved and how Sonic moved really showcased how fast and colorful the Sonic games were. And all of this combined made it a massive hit. It outsold Nintendo for like the first time any other developer had done that. And they really cracked 
Nintendo's armor a little bit with the first Sonic game. And obviously that launched a massive franchise and they've been making them ever since. Core game elements include going very, very fast, collecting rings, going fast and collecting rings, jumping on stuff because it's a platformer from the 90s, killing robots. A lot of these elements are included in the movie. A lot of them are included in weird ways. The core design philosophy of Sonic was always, we want the player to be able to move fast. Yes. So they mapped it all to one button. There's a jump button. And if you hold down end of the jump button, you can spin dash, which was their solution for like having an attack button. And yeah, that was like the main thing was like, we want it to be fast paced and fun and colorful. And they had to go through so much programming wise to actually get it to work. Sonic's movements in the original game are mapped out on like a dot matrix so that they know where he is in the level at any given time so that they can like keep every all the backgrounds and everything like moving in the right way. <laughs> so he's complicated. Yeah. The way that these early game the, the story as such in the early games is Robotnik is a big mean science man who makes robots that trap animals and Sonic is freeing the animals and collecting chaos emeralds which Robotnik is trying to use for evil purposes. Yeah. This is this has been interpreted in a lot of different ways in a lot of different media formats. A lot of them insist on Sonic being friends to, like, animals. He ends up with a lot of other sentient animal friends over time. There's basically no solid way to approach Sonic as a, like, narrative. Every version is pretty different. So the fact that the movie is so... Is what it is, is not... It's not surprising. It's not out of place. It is the... I don't want to like, say cowardly. It is the safer choice between yeah. doing that or trying to do the like world building style Sonic Underground or Sonic Archie Comics thing where you have like a complicated interconnected web of like talking animal people in like a weird loop de loop world. They chose a simpler format. It it worked for them. I think they were probably very afraid of ending up with a Mario Brothers or uh, like a Ratchet and Clank. Oh, yeah. Which we haven't seen, but apparently Ratchet and Clank is bad. Oh, I'm excited. Lexi, do you want to do the very basic plot rundown? Yeah. Uh, So Sonic the Hedgehog is an extraterrestrial hedgehog with the power to go very, very fast. Like, really fast. That's his whole deal. He's fast. And um, people want his power. So he gets sent away by his bird mom with a bunch of rings that can create portals to other worlds, or really wherever he thinks of, and ends up eventually on Earth, where in a fit of loneliness, he sets off effectively an EMP of himself. He, 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 He becomes an EMP briefly and knocks out like the entire west coast or something western seaboard i think is how they describe it yeah yeah so the u.s government which is now aware of him sends the evil genius dr robotnik after him to capture him or whatever and so sonic enlists the help of tom a cop from green hills who's really bored with his cop life to help him get his rings back because he dropped his rings through a a ring um hijinks ensue including uh, basically just either fighting off Dr. Robotnik or bonding (laughs) bonding through crossing off Sonic's bucket list and then eventually there's a boss fight with Dr. Robotnik and they exile him to the mushroom planet where he will definitely never be seen again (laughs) (laughs) definitely not 
All right, so that is the basic rundown. It is a video game movie, but it is also part of another much usually terrible genre of children's movies wherein a CGI animated character goes on like a road trip real world adventure with (laughs) some random B-list comedian. Uh, The film it is most like is Hop, which is also a movie starring James Marsden, wherein James Marsden is a public servant who is accidentally injures a cartoon magical animal and then has to go on a road trip to send him back to where he belongs. Yep. Uh, The cartoon animal in that case is the Easter Bunny. In this case, it is Sonic the Hedgehog. This is significantly better than most of those movies. It is better than the Smurfs. It is better than Hop. And the one of the weird reasons it's better seems to be Sonic has been on Earth for like an indeterminate period of time between 10 years and kind of like five years probably already at the start of the like main plot of the movie. So you're not doing all of the like he doesn't know what's going on gags and it's also a lot simpler plot wise. You don't have to set up a lot of stuff because it's like, no, he's from here effectively. You don't really care about his home world. It never comes up. He's not trying to get back there. He just doesn't want to get murdered by the government, which is fair. (laughs) It's a lot more like E.T. that way. <laughs> Only if E.T. was like a sass-talking hedgehog. Honestly, I'll take the fa- the sass-talking hedgehog over E.T. No offense, E.T. <gasps> is it the wrinkly baby face? It's or the is wrinkly it baby face. Uh, and, and, and your inherent furriness. Now listen. Listen here. <laughs> I've got no comeback for that. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go over our very basic thoughts of whether or not the movie sucks ass. Actually, maybe we should do some backstory on this because this movie has backstory that I feel oh, like does. we are skipping over and okay. that's all anybody wants to hear you about. You want to run down some some of the context here. So Sonic the Hedgehog was licensed originally by Sony Pictures in like 2013 or 14, I think. And they started pre-production on this movie. And then around 2015 or 16, they put the project in turnaround, which is industry speak for they abandoned it as a tax write-off, <laughs> which means that they legally can't resume the project. So they started from so scratch. So Paramount Pictures bought it. No. Oh, okay. Paramount, Paramount Pictures uh, acquired the rights in turnaround and just started producing it where Sony left off. Okay. (laughs) And part of the design work that was being done wanted to make Sonic more humanoid because the designers and the producers thought that that would gel better with the live action human characters. Paramount releases a teaser poster, which is just a silhouette, a blue outlined silhouette of Sonic the Hedgehog with the tagline for the movie and a release date. And people were already starting to get weirded out. Because his legs were scarily human were so human looking his proportions were bizarre he looked like a weird monkey yeah creature of some kind and you could already tell without even seeing him that things were weird yeah so this was around 2016 2017 so the teaser image gets released people are like this looks kind of weird but hey it's a silhouette maybe the angles are a bit weird it's hard to say so far right not long after this a theatrical standee gets leaked which is only 
Sonic's legs, which makes it even worse because you can definitely see they're incredibly human. He's got like normal human legs covered in blue fur that are also way too far apart from each other. And the photo is taken from like his crotch. It's a bizarre (laughs) image that quickly gets spread around the internet. It's unclear whether or not it's real for a little while because it's only the one image. It was real. It was a promotional image. Uh, So people start worrying about when is this actual thing going to get leaked? When are we going to see the actual hedgehog? Because they're hiding it from us so far. Not long after that, someone from early in production leaks a full like production stills kind of early design of Sonic. And people calm down a little because it's it's not that bad. It's kind of ugly, but... It's not nearly as creepily humanoid as people were expecting. It still mostly looks like Sonic. His eyes are weirdly far apart. And he's hanging out with Chris Pratt, who isn't actually in the movie. But, you know, this was early design work. This is what we think it's going to look like. And people calm down a little bit. And they're like, okay, it's, it's bad, but it's not as bad as we thought it was. Then the trailer drops. Okay. And we get full motion video of the actual Sonic design. So initially, this trailer, the first teaser trailer, was released, I think, at a Comic-Con event. Yeah. And it had the internet, like the, the attendees of this convention, like, were all over the internet talking about this monstrosity. So the public was already primed to see something horrifying, and they were not disappointed. <laughs> Neither were they prepared. Ugh. You know what? Let's just give our opinions. Lexi, what did you think of the original Sonic design? Uh, the the original Sonic design for this movie, which is not the OG Sonic design no. of Sonic, was hideous. It was so bad. I mean, his eye he he didn't look like a hedgehog. He looked like a. It was almost like the cats from Cats, the movie. Yeah, that came out, but with just like eyes super far apart, a face that was mostly featureless, almost because of how fur works and like mouths work but he didn't have like a muzzle or anything so it's just it was like a flat rodent face yes it was a human face plastered onto a rat face with no (laughs) reason for either of those things to happen i think one of the worst parts about it aside from the creepy human hands with fingernails yeah was bad enough is the fact that his eyes were like just tiny black beady rodent eyes (laughs) that were completely unexpressive no and i mean he had cartoon eyes Eyes, but they Real were weird. bad. He had teeth, like human, human teeth. teeth. And lips, the human teeth were awful. Um, and again, yes, he had very creepy legs. He had mm-hmm. weird, stretched out proportions. Watching him move was bad. Um, and on top of that, the trailer in on itself was bad. Like yeah. even if you set aside the fact that Sonic was an abomination from hell, <laughs> the like trailer was badly cut. It had most of an entire sequence with Jim Carrey like yelling at some military dudes, some random shots of Sonic in action sequences. It barely introduced the like second ma- main character, Tom. It was not a good trailer. It included all the worst jokes in the final movie, and then a bunch of really weird choices, like setting the whole thing to Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. (laughs) Yes. Like, it felt really dated for a movie that was coming out, supposed to come out in 2019. Yeah, it, it had higher quality CG with worse design elements, but otherwise felt like something that should have come out in, like, 2003. Yeah. You know, like Hop. Yeah. So general audiences are not pleased. Fans are less pleased. Paramount is clearly starting to sweat. (laughs) So not long after this, 
which I've said like eight times in this episode. Yeah. Paramount says, actually, we're going to delay the movie. It's getting released not this summer, but in February, and we're completely redesigning Sonic. Total reanimation of the whole movie. Yeah. Which was clearly almost finished. There's some debate over how the animators were treated during this process. They were given five months to essentially redo all of Sonic's VFX for the entire movie. They hire a popular fan artist Mm -hmm. uh, to help redesign Sonic because clearly (laughs) they didn't know what was going on. Uh, There have been at least one or two interviews with some of the animators that say that they weren't forced to work overtime just to work on it longer. It is worth noting, however, that this studio has since been shut down. Yeah, the, the animation studio that did this did end up closing its doors not long after this whole debacle happened. So it's unclear how the actual production went, but they managed it. They finished it in time for their February 14th release date of this year. And when the, the new trailer is released, everybody's yeah. like, hey, they started that looks like Sonic. Yeah. re-releasing the trailers with the new animations and everyone was like, yeah, that looks fine. So that brings us to February 2020, the actual release of the Sonic movie, a horrifying mess of uncertainty and bad advertising and terrible decisions brought to an actual film. This was our Valentine's date. It was fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's a kids movie. Yeah. yeah, it's like a totally passable children's movie, and it is one of the least bad video game movies ever. Yep. I don't think it's as strong as Detective Pikachu. Like, it's kind of generic, and there's some weird choices, but overall, it's a perfectly passable, like, children's movie. It's probably a little better than most of them, but the cast is charming for the most part. The effects in the final version look fine, and, like, it it holds together as a movie. Lexi? Yeah, I mean, I, I went into it fully expecting an absolute train wreck that I would enjoy, ironically. Yes. But I came out of it and was like, I genuinely enjoyed this movie and I don't know how to feel about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's... (laughs) Totally kind of pleasant. Yeah. I mean, most of the jokes, the jokes are constantly happening to the point where, (laughs) like, some of them stick and some of them don't, but there's enough of them that it's like, you know, this is solid. And I didn't hate any of the jokes except for one that I don't remember. But there was one there's one that uh, Dr. Robotnik said that was just like, uh, I don't like this. But otherwise, everything was like, oh, this is fine. Or it was it was it was meh to this is funny. OK, yeah, there's nothing in it that I would call offensive on any level. There's nothing in it that I would be like, don't show this to your children, which is like, you know, I, I hate that that's a criteria I have to set for a children's movie, but it really is. Yeah. Um, for a video game movie. Yeah, it's in the upper echelons just because of how poor the rest of the, the category is. This totally passable movie is like one of the upper echelons. It's kind of sad, but I mean, growth? Growth is great. I appreciate yeah. growth. And it's it's kind of impressive considering basically all of the above-the-line creative team on this movie were really new at this level of production. They had all been in like lower-tier positions on other films in the past, but this was the first time. Like This is the director's debut. The writers had done like TV stuff before, but hadn't really produced any actual screenplays. So yeah, like 
like for such a relatively inexperienced team, they pulled together something that is actually just kind of all right. The script could certainly be tighter. Yeah. I don't think it's got any huge like gaping problems, but you know, there could be some more thematic tightness to it. But like, it's not like the th- there are no themes. There are themes and the themes are readable. Yeah. So like, yeah. Even like the writing, it was decent. Like I've seen significantly worse. I mean, it was. Oh yeah. I didn't have complaints with it. It was just kind of, you know. I don't regret spending money to see it. Yeah. (laughs) And Ben Schwartz is genuinely a good Sonic. He's a great Sonic. Like, he's got the rapid fire, charming dialogue down, and he brings a lot of heart to the character. I think probably the smartest character decision they made was making Sonic kind of not cool. If they were (laughs) trying hard to make Sonic actually cool, this would have been horrifying. And I think that's part of the reason and everybody expected to be a train wreck is that Sonic is an almost impossible character to get right because he was only built to be cool. That was literally his only function as a character originally. And in this movie, they take the the much smarter choice, in my opinion, of this is a very sad, incredibly lonely creature who is obsessed with pop culture because it's the only interactions he gets with humanity in any way, shape, or form. And he's mostly just like a goofball. Yeah. And his funniness comes from that as opposed to like, oh, he's so cool. He's not, he's kind of a dork, but like in a likable way. Mm-hmm. I think what sums up this like character decision is a line that he says near the end of the movie before the boss fight happens where he's talking to Tom and his wife and he's like, we're not cute. We're a couple of loose cannons living by our own rules. And those rules include genuine expressions of emotion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is this Sonic in a nutshell. It's a good moment. And I love this Sonic. He's a sweetheart. He's doing his best. I genuinely felt sad at some of the scenes when he's like distantly watching from the woods where it's like, oh, oh, this is sad. He's completely alone in the world and he has zero relationships with anybody. And it's a good it's a good starting point to get you to care about this character as opposed to like, you know, the coolest hedgehog in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I feel like there could have been not that the first act is necessarily bad as is. I feel like there could have been a little bit more to the first act set on Sonic's homeworld. Mm-hmm. It that, does feel a little superfluous. M- yeah. Because that scene goes by so quickly and it just feels like we need to dump the backstory here so that we can get Sonic to Earth. I feel like there could have been a little bit more legwork done, like legwork, identifying the way that other people perceive Sonic as like a source of power and how he like interacts with maybe other characters of his age and I guess species before he is runs away to Earth. Yeah, at the very least, something more about why people want his power would be valuable. It's just, it's just kind of thrown. Yeah, it's just like you have power and people want it. But then, then he you're gets like, gonna be safe. Now go run away. He <laughs> <laughs> gets like attacked by a mob of what look like knuckles the echidnas in masks. Yeah. That's probably sequel planting. Oh, the other weird it thing about was. Sonic's homeworld is it's designed like the Sonic world would be in 3D, like it's a crazy little cartoon world. But then his parental figure is this like Guardians of Gahul looking <laughs> owl who is entirely realistic, and it's just a really weird contrast. I don't know why. Longclaw looks like this. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't think Longclaw is a character from any of the games. Yeah, I don't remember they there just... being a Longclaw. She might be in some of the cartoons yeah, or comics or something. We're not huge Sonic heads, but like. Well, I wonder if 
Um, so like the, one of the things with this movie is like they they changed how rings work, which I thought was a good decision. I I grew up with Sonic X, and so in that and I guess it's kind of matched what the games did too. You know, he collects rings, he gets stronger, something something power up, something something. In this, they were these portal rings and apparently all advanced civilizations use rings so i'm wondering if Longclaw is actually from another planet that isn't sonic's home world in universe that she's from another planet totally makes sense i think what actually happened is that was the original design for Longclaw, and they just didn't bother to fix it because mm. like why would they yeah. Um, yeah and they probably did very little work to the like mob like chasing him or this is an entirely new sequence but i don't think that's the case because it seems very fundamental on a script level that this scene is there and i don't think they redid much of it besides the animation uh i also want to make a point here all of these like compliments are coming from at least for me from the point of if they chose to make this kind of movie out of sonic they made good decisions I don't know why they chose this kind of movie. <laughs> there is nothing about Sonic or the current movie climate or any, like even when they bought the rights originally, there's nothing about any of this that means road trip cop buddy movie. Like nothing about that seems like the obvious thing to do to me. And maybe that's why it worked. But like it within, if you choose to do this kind of movie, the choices they made beyond that work for pretty well. Like, the rings as portals works great in the context of a movie where you need to hop between worlds and you want to keep the rings relevant. The road trip element does create this really kind of hilarious dissonance in the narrative where the reason that they start on the road trip in the first place is because Tom accidentally tranquilizes Sonic and Sonic can't run anymore so he gets Tom to drive him to San Francisco because that's where the rings fell through the portal to but he gets but better and like within an hour maybe he's not, already got his speed back an hour in universe time yeah, yeah, not yeah. an hour into the movie, not into the movie. <laughs> like, like five more minutes in the movie yeah he's got his speed back and they kind of hand wave it by like Tom tells him you just have to run west and Sonic runs off and comes back a second later because he ran into the ocean and he doesn't know where he's going but like just go get a map Sonic you know how to read a map just get a map and go to go to San Francisco <laughs> <laughs> but he wants to make a friend. Like you can run so fast. <laughs> yeah, I he think wants that's friends. I mean that is the reason in the script why that happens, but like it's just Tom's motivation is you really need Tom's motivation for any of this movie to make sense, and his own motivation is wants to save somebody's life and prove that he is useful. <laughs> Yeah, because as so, a cop in Green Hills, he's not doing anything. He he's so like he it opens with him like taking a speed like at a speed trap, speed gunning a turtle. Uh, James Marsden, very likable in this movie. So yeah, Sonic has been spying on this town of people for like an untold number of years, gaslighting one of the members of the community uh, <laughs> into thinking that there's a cryptid that is him, and like everybody else doesn't believe him, which yeah. is both funny and very mean yeah he keeps messing with crazy carl who calls him the blue devil and sets out traps to try and capture sonic 
Yes. This is not important to the plot, but it is a genuinely charming bit of the like setup. Which leads to one of my favorite jokes in the movie, where at the climax, they have gone back to Green Hills, Montana, and they're having a showdown with Robotnik in the middle of the street. And Carl is there, and he's like talking about how they're going to help defend the town from the robot guy and also there's the blue devil that everyone can plainly see is a real thing and not a figment of my imagination yes he also is wielding a chainsaw at this yes. point yeah and the co- uh, there's a police officer with with him who is not known for his intelligence but he's like put it down oh just no please don't carl <laughs> carl no yeah, the town is pretty charmingly set up. One of the like minor like nice things about this movie that isn't in any of the advertising is that there's just casually this very healthy interracial relationship between Tom and his wife. Yeah. Who is a veterinarian. I totally get why Sonic has attached himself to these people. They've did a good job of setting that up. She likes animals. He's good to the people in the town. Sonic is a very sad, lonely creature. <laughs> so from the beginning, you are in a pretty charming situation. You're following through you see sonic's motivations the actual moment when he starts the emp is a bit weird he is at the green hills baseball field because earlier he was spying on the little league earlier he was watching the championship little league game so now that everybody's gone he's playing baseball with himself as multiple characters which is actually it's a good gag yeah acting range is incredible Yeah. Sonic is very fun to watch in this movie. Thankfully, when they fixed him, they made him fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going around and running around fast enough to occupy all these different positions on the field at the same time and plays this game against himself. He's set himself up as the batter for the game winning run and he makes it to home plate and then he goes to cheer and turns around and like looks at all the empty stands and just gets so sad he has a like existential crisis moment that he starts running the bases fast enough that he digs a trench with his feet and then explodes into an emp the moment (laughs) that i thought was weird is the switch from i am very sad and have realized i'm entirely alone to now i'm just going to run very fast around in a circle which doesn't emotionally follow because he's not angry he's just sad it seems like he should sit on the ground and cry for like two hours but instead he starts running in a circle because that needs to happen for the plot to continue well it's like he's running his he's trying to run his emotions out instead he doesn't want to cry he wants to just like he turns it into anger which is fairly like that's a fairly it's like a reasonable thing. I just feel like that didn't read as well as it needed to. I think that's a thing that happens. I just don't think the movie takes that extra beat that's necessary. I just think it moves a little bit too fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another interesting thing about Sonic that is not included in this is they don't even bring up the concept of Chaos Emeralds, which I think is for the best because nobody really understands how those work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody gets how those things function or why they're around. They're just MacGuffins. My guess is that if this turns into a franchise, which they clearly want it to. Oh, oh yeah. They're desperate to make this a <laughs> franchise. <laughs> um, 
like that will probably be relevant in future movies because this movie even though it was clearly a sonic movie it should have the tagline the origin of dr eggman Yeah, yeah it's very it's a superhero origin story movie where you already like baseline the superhero already is just a superhero so it's more about how he creates an antagonist for himself yeah it's a little bit like the incredibles yeah, no. Dr. Robadnix oh, is a little bit syndrome Yeah, you're right. You may have noticed that we haven't mentioned Dr. Robotnik so far. We're going to probably get into some some back and forth here because I know I was not crazy about Jim Carrey. Oh, really? That's so, interesting because yeah. I loved him. He was the best part of the movie in my All opinion. Right. So <laughs> let's set up how this works in the plot. In the plot of the movie, the EMP happens. Robotnik is sent by the government, despite the fact that almost everybody in the government thinks that he's a lunatic and he's going to be able to do this to like track down what this was because everybody's worried it was a terrorist attack whatever his deal appears to be he was a very very smart orphan and he hates everybody i think that's about as like he i think he has a superiority complex where he thinks literally everybody is beneath him except for machines which listen to what he tells them to do the one bit of backstory we get to explain his deal is a story that he tells Tom when they first meet, which is that as a kid at school, he was bullied by a stronger student. So he used his intellect to create technology that enabled him to beat the bully up so badly that he was, and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting this right, drinking his meals through a straw. Yes. And then yeah. threatens to do the same thing to Tom if he won't cooperate and helping him find Sonic. <laughs> and no. then Tom punches him in the face. <laughs> Which <Yeah>. is great. <laughs> Now, the other important thing about Jim Carrey's Robotnik, uh, well, there's a few other things. One, he is not the rotund Eggman of uh, that. The Eggman nickname comes because his robots are egg-shaped, which is fine. I don't mind that as a, like, throwaway reason why Sonic calls him Eggman. That's fine. He looks... Does anybody remember that time that McDonald's tried to make the Hamburglar hot? <laughs> no. <laughs> Or uh, that hot hipster Santa that comes around every, like, now and then in the media, the one that's, like, a fashion model? No. Okay, what is I'm this? Try- he does look like that. <laughs> he, <laughs> this Robotnik is the hot hipster version of Robotnik, essentially. I'm not saying I find True. him attractive. I'm saying that is the aesthetic they're going for. He's in like a kind of like fashion steampunk aesthetic. He's got all his hair and he's Jim Carrey. And he's excellent. It's excellent. He's, he's, also- owning, he's owning his villainness. <laughs> he he knows what he's about. He's basically Megamind. Yeah, Megamind, except actually evil instead of just like having fun being evil see i don't know see he's owning what he's about i don't know what he's about and that's part of my problem like his attitude shifts like i like robotnik sometimes in this movie and at other times i just don't understand what's going on with him i think this is most typified by i get him when he's like holier than thou superior shitting on people i get that and it's entertaining to watch sometimes and his relationship with his like underling uh his twink agent. His, agent Stone. Agent Stone, his like side twink, is, <laughs> is pretty good. I enjoyed that. It's when he like randomly starts dancing that I'm like, I don't, this doesn't connect to me with the so thing good. we've set up previously. 
in a nutshell, I like how this looks, but with the rest of what's going on, I just don't get it. He's got his moments for sure. And I don't know that he is entirely miscast here, but he's doing throughout the movie, he's doing this very Ace Ventura slash The Mask, like really exaggerated physical comedy that like just feels really dated. And I don't know that it fits in this movie. It's it's a weird, it's weird. Like the the movie's got like three or four different types of humor going on. And and his is a weird one. He's introduced basically doing the www.zipit.com bit. It's, yeah. Lexi, you you give your take for a bit. We've we've talked lots. I mean, so, okay. So you guys feel that it was out of place. I think it was perfectly in place because he has the superiority complex. He can get away with literally anything because he is so smart and backed by so much technology. He can do whatever he wants. If he wants to like do the robot in front of a military camp, he can do that because he can. Like he's just having fun. The the whole, the sequence where he's just bopping to music while doing science things and then just like doing VR stuff while he waits for it, the results. Like it it felt very Moriarty from the shirt from the modern Sherlock. It felt like Moriarty doing like ah, it ah, does ah, staying alive. It does feel like that. I think that is the kind of villain they're going for. I loved uh, it. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people. It's working for a lot of people, and oh, a lot of critics are like po- pinpointing him as the high point of the movie, which I don't agree with. But <laughs> if that if it works for you, then it works. It works. I think probably for me, it the worst part of it is the very first scene and after that I like it a lot more for the rest of the movie. That scene is such a dud. The first scene it's just him interrupting this military guy over and over but he's not even actually interrupting him because the other guy's not really trying to say that much. It's just not a great... There are That's... parts of it and I really like the way he's designed. He's got these gloves that are like con- remote control gloves that I really yeah. dig. Mm-hmm. The way he's controlling stuff is very cool. I just don't like that opening scene with him. That's, that's a... F- fair critique it's a little bit weird i like parts of it i think other parts definitely kind of die but there was another layer for me um because i watch legends of tomorrow uh, i'm not really into arrow but the the actor who's playing that military guy is damien dark on <laughs> the arrow and legends of tomorrow and in legends of tomorrow he becomes this hilarious villain who just keeps being relevant for some reason and so i really enjoyed watching dr robotnik just interrupt damien dark repeatedly you know what i can understand that vibe uh (laughs) the other thing about jim carrey's robotnik that i feel like i should point out is that he's almost never actually in the same scene as other human beings the only other human he interacts with regularly is roger is uh agent Agent Stone. stone And there's the one scene with the military where he interacts with a lot of people and one scene at the bar. Those are the only two instances where he's with other human beings besides Agent Stone. And that's why it's the entirety of the trailer. It's the only time Jim Carrey's interacting with other people. (laughs) Yeah, I I looked this up when I was reading about this movie. They did just add all of Jim Carrey's stuff in extra shooting after principal photography because the whole movie basically (laughs) was shot on location in British Columbia. And then they shot all of Jim Carrey's footage in New York. 
<laughs> in a green screen set. Probably, yeah. Like probably all the vehicle stuff was done in a green screen, and then mm. the interior of his like truck was a set. His truck layer. Yeah. yeah, I do like was... his truck layer. His truck layer is pretty his, great. His truck layer is good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wanted more like Doctor Strange love out of the character. I wanted him to be a more of like a maniacal mad scientist and less of like a '90s cartoon character. But, but he is a, he 90s is a 90s cartoon, cartoon character. character. Which is a good point. I mean, he is, but like, he didn't need to be. I think. <laughs> oh, and by at the end of the movie, he gets transported into a portal to a, a world that only has mushrooms, and he's gone completely insane. See, that that part, I'm looking forward that scene to. I yeah. Liked. I liked when he's in the mushroom world, just like crazily talking to himself and throwing around a rock that looks like his friend's head. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to discuss the implications of that relationship? Because it's definitely some kind of weird sub-dom thing, right? It really is. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That relationship is my favorite part of the Jim Carrey Robotnik deal because it's just so funny. They never go into what Stone's deal is. I kept expecting Stone to be that character that like the villainous character who changes his mind at the end because he realizes how bad the guy is getting. But he doesn't. He just disappears from the face of the movie eventually. (laughs) It seems to be that he is like an agent who works with Robotnik who like worships his intellect to such a degree that he he would die for him. Yes. He <laughs> is... doesn't care that he gets shit on all day. He just loves Robotnik that much. The best interaction between them is one that was in one of the trailers where he interrupts his dancing sequence to ask him if he wants a latte and Robotnik yells at him very loudly. Are you insane? Of course I do. I love how you make them. <laughs> it's just like... I don't know what your relationship is, but I love it. There's a, there's another really good moment where Agent Stone says something that Robotnik finds kind of stupid. So mm-hmm. he just like turns around and goes, pin yourself to the wall. And then starts <laughs> yelling at him as Agent Stone is like standing against the wall with his own hand on his chest as if he's being pushed against the wall by Robotnik. And it's so funny. He's just they're such just, a sub. Yeah. So, they've they've clearly been together really for good. years. Yeah. And like, it's just accepted that if you hire Robotnik, you've got his weird little manservant with him. <laughs> it's a uh. weird addition. I don't know if w- why they did it. Just maybe so that Jim Carrey could be working off of somebody, but it's a really good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's other things we should talk about. Oh, there's a really weird running joke where for some reason, Tom's wife's sister really hates him <laughs> and it's never established why. Yeah. She yeah. just hates him. I feel like she's just like, I don't know. She seems to be pretty conservative. Yeah, she's got this like you're too good mm-hmm. for him thing going on but like he just got a job with the San Francisco Police Department. They have a lovely house. He seems to take very good care of her. I don't, like it feels like there's some backstory moment where like he accidentally set her turkey on fire during <laughs> Thanksgiving or something and we never see that. Yeah, it's so weird. It's just this dangling character thread that never gets resolved that she just absolutely hates him. She's constantly telling his wife to divorce him throughout the movie. And their yeah. relationship is totally great. Yeah. They're clearly very in love with each other and very happy and supportive of one another. 
And like everybody likes Tom. That's like an established thing. Like everybody in Green Hills just loves Tom. He's just such a helpful guy. And there's just this one character. She lives in San Francisco. But it's not but made like, a point of it's that. Not, she, yeah. It's not like that's the point. Like, oh, everybody no. loves him except for her sister for some reason. No, it's she just, just hates thing. him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she gets tied up and left on a chair for like the entire of climax of the movie. And I don't know if anybody ever goes back they, for her. They literally forget her. They, they like make a point that she. She's forgotten, and yep. they also yeah. stole her car. Yeah. The movie's kind of cruel to her, but in a way where she's such a grating character that you don't care that much. At I the end know. of the movie, she is tied up in her own home, but her daughter is there. So, like, it's not like a oh god, that's really dark situation. It's like a clearly her daughter is relishing the opportunity to not have to do what her mom tells her for like an hour, and like yeah. she's gonna let her go eventually. Yeah. Oh, and there's also that really, this was a really good moment in the movie. The daughter. Okay, throughout the movie, mm. Sonic the is movie, wearing yeah. terrible beat up shoes. He's had these like gross, barely yeah. bandaged together sneakers for the entirety of the film. In the original teaser trailer, there's a gag where Sonic gets back to his cave and he like takes off his shoes and throws them on a big pile of torn up sneakers, which they got rid of in the movie. And I think that's good because throughout the movie, he's wearing these like terrible sneakers that are all like ripped up and they have holes in the bottom and eventually Sonic gets knocked out by an explosion and so they have to rush him to uh, Tom's sister-in-law's house in In, San Francisco where his veterinarian wife is staying and as Sonic is like recovering the the daughter the little girl comes up to him and gives him a brand new pair of sneakers and they're the sneakers from the game Yeah, and it's a really sweet moment where this kid is like going against her mom's wishes to help Sonic out. Yeah. It's really cool. It's sweet. It's sweet, and it's a nice moment of Sonic interacting with someone closer to his age. How old Sonic is supposed to be is also very unclear in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, in I the think opening... Hedgehog lifespans probably function, like, mature differently. But, but pro- the movie he's is a teen. Clear. He's probably a teen. He's yeah. some kind of a teen. So at the very opening sequence when he's, like, a tiny baby being kicked out from his home planet, he's, like, like a child, like a young under the age of six kind of child like a four or five year old basically he's old but enough he's, to walk and talk but he's smart enough to like be on his just sent out on his own it's not like he's just gonna die no he, but like he's an animal and he's also a child raised in serious situations which gives mm-hmm. them a little more like it's not unheard of that a young kid can fend for themselves right it's yeah fair. he's he's clearly supposed to be very young not like over the age of 10 i would say he's under that and then it's 10 years later which seems like an unnecessarily long gap to me like it could have been five it seems weird that it was such a long time to me so the, the hedgehog is at minimum or at maximum he's like 16 yeah uh, and he is at the end of the movie adopted by tom and his wife as like their son but also there's a prolonged sequence in a bar like how old the hedgehog is is very unclear how old we're supposed to read him as is not well established it's not a detriment really until the last sequence where you're like oh yeah i guess he is like an orphaned child and we should have been concerned about that huh (laughs) <laughs> There's this element to the movie that keeps coming up where I'm I'm pretty convinced at some point a version of this story was about Tom not wanting to have kids mm. and then learning to care for Sonic makes him like realize that he can be a good father but then they abandoned that partway through and developed these other motivations for Tom's character and just like never really reconciled that because like Tom's motivation doesn't 
really have much to do with Sonic's motivation. They, they intersect in an interesting way that could have been better developed, but there's only really one scene where that is addressed. Where, yeah, because Sonic was forced out of his home and Tom is willingly leaving his home for a seemingly, like, arbitrary reason. Yeah. yeah. The, there's, again, this is what I meant when I said it's not, it could be tightened. The themes are all there and they function mostly fine. They don't intersect in the best ways. The, you need to appreciate other people angle where that's what the difference between Sonic and Robotnik is doesn't really tie into Tom's deal but it's fine it's not that big a deal uh the script is surprisingly tight in the why is the wife not around angle where a lot of movies just kind of arbitrarily send them off on a business trip or something it is part of the entire like arc of the thing is Tom is leaving for San Francisco that is why his wife is gone she's looking at apartments that is why the rings up and end up in San Francisco he's wearing a t-shirt in celebration of his like promotion to the San Francisco police department it ties in a lot tighter than a lot of these other movies where it's just like and the portal is in New York <laughs> yeah the, the mechanics of the plot fit together pretty well it's in the more granular details yeah it's it's the smaller details the thematic details that things are a little bit more loose but like we said before it's mostly fine like it's a perfectly enjoyable kids adventure movie yeah. all right Lexi do you have any uh, sequences or concepts or characters you'd like to discuss? Any final words? Well, I don't I... know if this is final words yet. We're talking. <laughs> no. no, I mean, we have to I, the games. I really loved... Well, okay, so they had a lot of... I'll get into that in a bit. There was one sequence that I really loved, which is what I call the Matryosh car. <laughs> Explain. There oh, is. A... I know this. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Doctor Robotnik has sent out a like robot tank almost down the highway to chase after uh, Tom and Sonic, and eventually, so- through sort of through the power of. I guess rejected friendship a little bit in that moment. It's kind of like this back and forth between like, are we actually friends? Sonic's just like, lightning powers and then blows up the car and it's like, yay, we won. Cool. It's over. And then another smaller car pops out of the big tank and then the Matrosh cars. Yeah, and and so they run away again in in the van, and eventually Sonic breaks that one, and then somehow it turns into a unicycle car that comes after them, and then eventually Sonic breaks that one because uh, it's trying to like pop their tires or something, and then a tiny one flies out of the unicycle car and cuts the entire roof of their truck off. My favorite moment in that might be when the tiny little robot pops out and he says, oh, this one's cute. Can we keep it? And then it starts like destroying the car. Yeah. Oh, and uh, then it turns into a bomb. After they break that one, it becomes a sticky bomb. Yes. Yeah. They, the mechanics of, of Dr. Robotnik's robots are actually very good. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is that one's good. I like the bar sequence, actually. Um, oh, that's good, too. The, they do the X-Men Quicksilver thing mm, yes. of slowed down time because fast character, which you kind of can't not do if you're doing a Sonic movie. Yeah. But the setup of a bar fight is possibly the best possible use of that <laughs> sequence. Like, if you're going to do that slow down thing a teenager in a bar fight who just wants to make the biggest mess possible is an amazing use of that <laughs> the stakes are very low but the jokes are very high yeah the punchline to the end of that is that he has start a bar fight on his bucket list <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> he there's a lot of good visual gags in that Sonic setting up a bunch of like things to go horribly wrong. I this is a minor point, but the like dive bar that they're at, the like biker bar, which is just like randomly next to this truck stop that they stop at, has like a very interestingly like gender equality like el- element to it, where there's a lot of mean tough biker women also punching each other in the bar fight, <laughs> and like just like I don't know, that's kind of nice, I guess. <laughs> Like, you didn't have to do that, but okay. Um, I liked the bar fight sequence. They do another one of those slow-mo sequences towards the end of the movie where he's, like, fighting off the robots off the top of the San Francisco Tower, which you, uh, the, what's what's that building? The big tower in San Francisco. Oh, oh I don't know. Uh, Transamerica building or something? I think yeah, that's it, yeah. Transamerican uh, Pyramid or something? I've never been to San Francisco. Pyramid, that's what it is. Anyways, where he's, you see this in the trailer where he's, like, turning around missiles and stuff, which is very effectively used to set up that Dr. Robotnik now also has super speed, which Mm -hmm. I wish they'd kind of done one more super speed sequence between those two points as like planting reminder payoff. But, you know, that's a very minor point. I also just like those sequences. I'm a sucker for them. I think they're funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Oh, the movie does use the song that they should have used in the trailer originally. Yes, I'm so mad they didn't use this in the trailers because... They should have used Queen's Don't Stop Me Now in the trailers. They used it at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, there's a needle drop at the beginning of the movie when he goes to his cave where they play it. But like, hmm. come on. It was very obvious. It's such a good choice for the trailer. I just don't understand. <laughs> oh, also pop culture references and product placement. Oh um, Sonic's pop culture references are mostly parable because they are from the perspective of somebody who has been absorbing human culture through pop culture at a distance. And his jokes mostly work. I think the only one that really doesn't work for me is when he starts flossing because that one doesn't that was, feel like it's... Oh, that, that one's bad because it's not calling attention to itself in the same way. Like yeah. when he directly quotes lines from Speed and like says he loves Keanu Reeves, that works. <laughs> because that's his life. When he starts mm-hmm. flossing, it seems like they're just trying to make him cool with the kids and it's just it's just horrible to watch. It, it was pretty awful, but I don't think it was necessarily trying to be cool. It was almost making fun of influencers because he makes he there's some lines where he's very much like being an influencer, but for fun to himself. Yeah, I like those bits. I like the bit where he's like hanging over Robotnik's evil drone and talking like he's like starting a YouTube video into its camera <laughs> that's funny the flossing just didn't work yeah yeah i and i don't think it would work for the core audience either but i'm not an eight-year-old so i don't know i mean it might just it might be in part because it's not a moment where anything's really happening like he's doing it in celebration of destroying the tank and all of the action just kind of stops while he dances for a few seconds and he doesn't make any verbal joke to tie in with it really but for the most part i don't mind sonic's pop culture jokes they're mostly fun the product placement, though. Olive Ooh. Garden. Olive Garden. <laughs> I hope Olive they paid Garden so must much have money. Shelled out so much money <laughs> so, to get their placement in this movie. So the first time there's an Olive Garden reference, it's it's okay. I actually chuckled yeah. because it's. Uh, do you have any apps on your phone? No, the only apps on my phone are the ones that came with it and Olive Garden. And then his wife is like, because when you're there. And he's like, your family, which just feels like the kind of like dumb joke that they have as a couple because he clearly only ever goes out to eat at Olive Garden. Yeah. Which yeah. is funny because Olive Garden is shit. And okay, let's let's not, we, we don't want to like scare off any potential endorsements <laughs> okay. of Olive our podcast. Garden, if you're listening. <laughs> we will take your money. We will take your money and say that your food is good. 
But until but then, only we because we're poor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Olive, okay, I won't say it that far. Olive Garden is not like good. It's just like fine. It's a fine, like mid-tier, cheap family restaurant. It's not anything to write home about. Do we all agree on this, friends? It's fine. Olive Garden is <laughs> is I've never a, eaten at an Olive Garden. <laughs> as a, of a slightly lower quality than the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. <laughs> so the first time, it's like whatever because it's almost a little bit self-derogatory. The last time it shows oh. up is horrible. It was bad. Lexi, describe the, the, the <sighs> Olive Garden product placement, please. So they have the, the government guy who the, in this one, in this movie, they have like the mili- government military people as like a little bit doofy because mm-hmm. who el- only someone who's a little bit doofy could possibly think sending a Dr. Robotnik out is a good idea. But they- he shows up at their door and is like, you know, I'd like to thank you for your help in the events that definitely didn't happen because Dr. Robotnik never existed. And also the blue flash definitely never existed. Also, where is he? But anyway, I'm handing you like what looks like could be a check and they're like oh this is gonna be great we're getting you know we helped defeat dr robotnik and and aliens and whatever government cover-up hush money it's a 50 dollars gift card to olive garden and then they go on to talk about how great olive garden is and it's just the worst it is the worst product placement i've seen in a movie since will smith's irobot i also think the shoes are like adidas or something but they only like look at that for like two seconds so it's not that bad and honestly if you're going to be giving sneakers that iconic to a character it's kind of like as a sneaker company why wouldn't you want your name on that it's Mm. kind of obvious the Olive Garden thing is weird. Yeah. It's not quite as weird as the Power Rangers entire climax happening at a Krispy Kreme. <laughs> what? Oh, the the Power Rangers movie from a few years ago, which I genuinely love as a movie. It's Breakfast Club meets like superheroes. The big evil portal or whatever it is, like Power Source, is underneath a Krispy Kreme. That's incredible. So that's terrible. actually the movie. I'm, I'm going to take it back. It's the worst product placement I've seen since that. But that one goes around <laughs> so far it becomes like ridiculous again. Or like the IHOP in uh, Man of Steel where a oh. huge chunk of the climax happens or the Sears. Like you don't see a physical Olive Garden. I don't think. They don't go to an Olive Garden in the movie. So like that's good, I guess. <laughs> Is this the note we're going to end the podcast on? Oh, no, we have more to talk about. Yeah. This is a movie that takes place in a universe where Olive Garden is so ubiquitously loved that the U.S. government from any other conversations, a completely unrelated person got character that they had never met as a thank you gift, a gift card to Olive Garden. Okay, so uh, let's talk post-credits because there is a post-credits scene. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'll have to admit, this is the point where my nostalgia okay. actually got to me. Let's. So the movie ends with Robotnik getting shoved through a portal to the Mushroom Planet. And we get like a kind of teaser at the end where he has gathered a bunch of his, like the parts from his ship and he's vowing to get back to Earth, which is already planting for a sequel. But then after the credits, there's another scene, which you can talk about. 
Yes, this is where my like nostalgia gets me because I did grow up playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with my younger brother a lot of the time, but he always got to play Sonic and I was always Tails. And at the end of the, the credits, Tails shows up and he's so cute. And he's like got a little computer and he's looking for Sonic and he's like has to go find him for some really unclear reason. And it's the most sequel baity thing ever. But then he flies away on his little tail and I'm like, oh, I want to see Tails in the next movie. Yeah. The original voice actress. And he's so cute. Was it really? I It sounded so yeah. familiar. I was yeah, like, no, that's a original, great Tails voice. It's the original voice of Tails. She came that's back awesome. to do that bit for the end credits. So that's awesome. <laughs> I want Tails. I love tails and it's, it's good. Yeah. It's it's cute. Um, it does kind of highlight something that I find mildly hilarious, which is that like one of the baseline like brand things about Sonic as a character is that Tails is Sonic's best friend. But they had to just not do that for this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious if they do a sequel, whether or not it's going to be Tails was his childhood best friend, or it's going to be like I don't know who this guy is, but they become friends. Which I'm okay um, with. I'm okay with either. Yeah, uh, it was unnecessary but cute and it it got me i have to admit interestingly there was this is gonna be fun there was an early attempt to make a sonic movie after the first game was such a hit in 1996 it was either like 93 or 96 it was somewhere in that like mid 90s period not surprising seems like an (laughs) obvious thing to do Apparently, Sega wasn't really concerned with the failures of Super Mario Brothers or Street Fighter. They were like really on board for making this movie. <laughs> the only thing that exists of this movie now, and I don't think the full text of it even exists, but they hired a screenwriter to do a treatment for a movie based on Sonic the Hedgehog, and it was going to be tied in with the release of the Sega Saturn, which was their next console, because they wanted to give it like a marketing boost. They told the, the writer to include the Sega Saturn in the screenplay. Oh no. oh no. So I don't have the like breakdown of it in front of me, so I'm just going off of memory. But here is here is the Sonic movie that could have been had they not pulled the plug on it before starting production. So there's a teenage boy and his parents are divorced. And he's like going through the awkward phase of teenage life. But his dad is this inventor slash engineering genius who's fallen on hard times because he can't find work. So when he basically is told by his teachers, this kid, that he needs to finish this report that he's supposed to be writing or else they'll get his parents involved, the kid discovers that his dad has made this supercomputer question mark called the XRI. The X stands for extreme because it's the 90s. Uh, He tries to get the computer to write his paper for him, which is a paper about a jet pilot named Sonic that was trying to break the speed record. That part is weird. So to get the computer to understand what he's talking about, he plugs in his Sega Saturn to the computer 
But through wacky 90s computer hijinks, the game world opens a portal into the real world and Sonic and Dr. Robotnik escape into the real world. Okay, so this was always the kind of thing they were going to do, huh? (laughs) What is it about Sonic that screams, we've got to have him portal into the real world? I don't know. It gets better. Oh, God. So Robotnik (laughs) disappears somewhere. Sonic goes off and gets very confused by the fact that the physics of the real world don't react like the video game world and also uh. realizes that the longer he spends in the real world the weaker he gets uh. so he's he dying finds this kid and tries to get him to help recover the chaos emeralds which will like help him restore his power that they have also come to the real world and are just hidden inside normal looking rocks around the world oh, no. and robotnik also wants to get his hands on them so he he somehow acquires an amusement park Oh, and no. starts recruiting bullies from the school. Oh no! To uh, get outfitted with like cybernetic enhancements what? to become bully bots oh, to no. help him mine chaos emeralds from <laughs> underground. So it's but the also, villains from Pinocchio, but with yes, robots. It, that is a very astute observation because also the theme park is a running theme park that attracts kids that then get replaced by clone robots that go back to their parents, and the kids are forced to work as slave labor in robotnik's minds what meanwhile sonic has found one of the chaos emeralds and restored his power but the kid josh also wants to like know how the power works so sonic lets him use a little bit of it to write his his uh, report which is apparently still something that he's interested in finishing for some reason Uh, Then they find out what Robotnik is doing, and they have to take him down. And then they take him down by using the computer to pull all of them into the game world for the final act. So now the kid and his friend, and I think his dad, and Robotnik, and Sonic all end up back in the game world, and they defeat Robotnik there and banish him to the game world. But he, like, escapes, so Sonic decides that he has to stay in the game to defend uh, against Dr. Robotnik breaking back into the real right. world, and they have a bittersweet parting with the human child that he has befriended. Okay. <laughs> what? And you're telling me at no point in this time where the villain is kidnapping children, does the child get kidnapped? Uh, not in the treatment. That anyway. seems kind of obvious. He's also, just... why is he kidnapping children and replacing them with robot clones when he could just have robot clones? clones? Yeah, when he could just oh, use that's... robots as slave labor. Because he's Robotnik, I guess. Also, like, I mean, I you could know. you could do something where his robots are like animal powered in the in the games or at least that's the implication i think in the very early ones so it could just be that robotnik doesn't know how to make a robot that runs on anything but live beings but that implies that some like furry rodent is running these clone robots then no well yeah see that would make sense if it's like he can only make mining robots using the children but then like to see what squirrels in the clones (laughs) i don't i have no idea I would be so down for that. This is Uh, a movie that reportedly Sega was interested in making. They wanted to make this. Is it really (laughs) that Um, much worse script treatment than the one we got, though? 
Um, yes. I mean, I I want I would rather have this bizarre movie than the movie that we got. Not because the movie that we got is necessarily bad in any like meaningful way, but because it's just so like middle of the road. It's so par. <laughs> and it's yeah. It's enjoyable, but I almost wish it were a train wreck that I could like that you could do like a fun postmortem on and like dissect. But if it is a stepping stone on the way to more genuinely good video game movies, I'll take it as is. Oh yeah. No. So I feel like we've said enough about the Sonic movie. Yeah, this has been uh, this more... has been a good episode. <laughs> Considering there's very little to actually say about the Sonic movie, I think we've said a lot about the Sonic movie. Yeah. Uh, Lexi, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I think we've... Oh, there. Uh, I do have one more thought. It's not a big thought. Early on in the movie, there's a bunch of raccoons. <laughs> oh, yeah, the raccoons. <laughs> yeah, the raccoons. <laughs> and I, I, like, I appreciated the presence of the raccoons because at that point, I was still expecting it to be a, a trash fire. And so I was just like, Ah, yes. Kin. (laughs) (laughs) The raccoons are not plot important, considering. And Tom calls them trash pandas. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a point where the raccoons get, like, they're digging in the trash, and so I, okay, I'm gonna read this as, like, a metaphor. We've got the raccoons, we are the raccoons, and we're digging through the trash because this movie is supposed to be trash. It will be trash, right? But then, we, it turns out to not be trash, it turns out to be decent, and uh, later in the movie, the raccoons get a hold of the cake that the (laughs) wife handed us, and so the metaphor is the movie is the cake and not trash and we're unexpectedly being treated to cake as trash pandas <laughs> but it's like like grocery store sheet cake so it's still not like right amazing it's yeah. just like a nice treat <laughs> i think that's a great metaphor for this movie that's pretty much sums it up uh nathan do you want to give this film a rating i give this film one out of two tales Aw. The other tale is not present yet. (laughs) Lexi, do you have a rating? Uh, I give it a solid, like, 49 out of... eh, No, 47 out of 70 rings. (laughs) And I give it a Bigs the Cat. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, this has been a very special episode of Video Game the Movie the Podcast. It may or may not be the first one you ever hear. Yes, we have recorded <laughs> others. We're going to go chronologically through the entirety of video game movie history. So look forward to that. I have been and will continue to be for the foreseeable future, Mackenzie Easton. I am Nathan Bertram. That's it. That- and I'm Lex. <laughs> <laughs> It can't always be funny. <laughs> and I'm Lexi Conwell, who exists. <sighs> All right. Thank uh, you for listening. You can find our show on Twitter at VGTMPod. At, at, at Video Game, the movie, the podcast. I mean, just Google it. Uh, But yeah, at VGTM podcast i think is the twitter it's been a while since we thought my about this. twitter is at kenzie phoenix so you can find it through that my twitter is at bert nerd tram mine's at conwell underscore alex all right thank you for listening i don't know for sure what the next episode is gonna be so have surprised with that and don't forget the quarters nope that's not a good one game over so Till next time.
game on. <laughs> Until next time, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, be gay, do crimes. <laughs> <laughs>